Hi everyone, and welcome to this podcast produced by Grant Thorne about COVID-19 and the impact it's having on the economy and New Zealand businesses. I'm Russell Moore, National Managing Partner at Grant Thornton New Zealand, and I'm joined by Michael Worth, an engineer by background and an operational advisory partner at Grant Thornton, and Cameron Bagri, the former Chief Economist of the ANZ, and the man who led the ANZ from an economist's perspective through the GFC, and is now out consulting to New Zealand businesses. So we're producing this podcast for businesses who are undoubtedly starting to well and truly feel the impacts of COVID-19. But before we get down to business, how are you two planning on a personal level? Cameron? Well, obviously having some you know, discussions with, with the family, and it's interesting some of the feedback. Yeah, my 13-year-old, her biggest concern is the potential cancellation of, of the netball season because she's a pretty avid netballer. And my, my little 10-year-old, uh, she's pretty keen on getting out with Dad and you know, making a bit of a garden. And getting back to you know, a little bit of the old school sort of stuff we used to do 20, 30, 40 years ago. Brilliant. Yeah, we, we were talking about that as a family this morning. Um, you know, for us, it's been following the, the official advice, trying to keep calm. Um, and we're looking forward to a lot more family dinners because uh, both of my kids have hospo jobs and basically they don't have those jobs anymore. And I guess from uh, from my perspective, I've got three lads and they're, they're mostly looking forward to um, finishing school. Not have any schoolwork to do, so I don't think they uh, they understand the reality of it yet. But um, uh, I guess in terms of business, though, if we're getting down to um, down to the reason for the podcast, a question for you, Cameron. Uh, we're just getting information everywhere at the moment from governments, market experts, and the media, just constantly commenting on uh, different impacts or the latest impacts from COVID nineteen, different responses uh, as the as the virus spreads through the world. What can we make of all this? Well, first and foremost, let's let's keep chicken little in the coop, yeah, because you know, over dramatising the situation, you know, panic sort of calls is not helpful at all. Now, there's not, that does not mean we we downplay the significance of what is going on, because yeah, we are seeing an economic hit that is bigger than being hurt. You know, the tourism sector is a $17 billion international export earner. You know, that is to say they are going to struggle with putting things very politely. Now, we also need to, I think, put in a, this in a little sense of perspective. Well, yeah, first and foremost, th- this is a health, health-related issue. So yeah, look after your families, look after your friends, but we also need to acknowledge what could go on economically. Yeah, and the New Zealand economy is entering a recession. And we just can't shy away from what is what is blatantly obvious. It is going to be deeper, more protracted than what we saw during the global financial crisis. But let's step back and have a look at the, the bigger picture. Look, we tend to go through a protracted downturn every 10, 11 or 12 years. Yeah, we saw the global financial crisis 11 years ago. About 11 years prior to that, we had the Asian crisis. Go back about 11 years prior to that, what do we see? 1987 to 1991. Yeah, very protracted, difficult economic times, which yeah, impacted businesses, impacted people losing their jobs, and that flows into society in, in a negative manner. But yeah, we will come out of this on the other side. Yeah, the the sun does get up in the in the morning. Yeah, that might be a wee way away at present, given the uncertainty we are seeing around the globe at the moment. But there's going to be some real big challenges in the near term. Obviously, yeah, liquidity, cash flow is going to be important for 
for businesses. Yeah, but out of downturns, you can quite often make some of your best strategic decisions because there's going to be some opportunities that open up on the other side too. Yeah, I think positivity is is definitely something that we in the business world really have to promote. Um, and also uh, that well-being. But just in terms of that messaging, how do you see this as different to um, you know, what you saw when you were uh, leading the charge for ANZ back in the GFC? Well, the, the global financial crisis was, you know, first and foremost, a, a financial shock. You know, what, what are we seeing this time around? Well, it's a, it's a health shock, yeah, but it's got economic and financial consequences. You know, we're starting to see the tenor of economic data around the globe is taking an absolute battering for the month of month of March. So that the global economy is, is slipping into recession. As you see the global economy you know, head backwards, you know, firms are not making the sales, they're not making the revenue. If you're not making the revenue, making the sales, you're going to see difficulty in some sectors you're know, paying the interest bill. You know, these airlines around the globe are going to be in pretty serious financial difficulty, so we're starting to see this morph into a, another financial crisis. What are we seeing behind the scenes as well? Well, well policymakers are not standing idly by. You know, the Reserve Bank just came out and basically said, we are, stand, we are ready to act, provide, to provide liquidity into the what's called the economic plumbing, you know, financial markets, making sure they're operating in an orderly fashion. Obviously, the government stepped up to the plate, delivered the... Yeah, the first bazooka with a $12.1 billion package. Are we going to see more bazookas over the coming six to nine months? The answer is yes. And I guess we've got the luxury that we've got ammunition in the chamber. Yeah, government debt's 20% of GDP. Now, it's going to go pretty quickly, I think, to 30 35 40% of GDP. Yeah. Yeah, we've been sort of yeah, not wanting the rainy day, but it started to rain. Well, it's actually more than rain. It's a torrential downpour. Uh, but we've got ammunition that we can push into the economy to try to support cushion that downside. Yeah, and some of those um, those larger macro impacts that are hitting us at the same time. So, you know, we see, we are seeing stocks falling around the world, and we are seeing um, oil prices uh, reducing significantly. Uh, good good for the for the uh, punter at the pump at the pump. Sorry, uh, but. Um, you know, how does that impact um, with, with combined with COVID-19? Yeah, well, the, the way I view it at the moment is that yeah, we've effectively been slugged by what we call three black swans. You know, the, the first black swan was the opening of, of the virus in China, and that just threw the whole global supply chain into disarray. Now, that supply chain is starting to mend, but it's a, it's a slow, drawn-out process. You know, black swan number two was a, a literal earthquake across oil markets. You know, oil prices have, have collapsed. You know, we've got the Russians and the Saudis going sort of toe-to-toe in regard to petroleum production. You know, oil prices have come down. Uh, the energy sector's got an awful lot of debt, so we're going to start to see some financial stress and some leveraged energy firms around the globe. And, of course, you know, shock number three is putting up the borders. Uh, and that has taken this to a completely new level in regard to what the economic consequences are going to be because we, we live in a globalised world. Yeah, we, we're used to doing business you know, face-to-face where yeah, everybody's on the plane whipping around the globe in regard to travel. Well, borders have gone up and we don't know how long those borders or those walls are going to be up for. It's an interesting uh, concept, the borders going up, because I guess we've seen a bit of that over the last um, six months, a year as well, in terms of tariffs and um, I, I guess a, a focus on 
nationhood rather than the global economy as well. You know, what's your take on that? Yeah, so if I, if I step back, if you ever look at the past 30 years, we've been in what's called a embracing a model which you call globalisation, yeah, increasingly getting connected around the globe, you know, doing business more and more internationally. And China has really been at the epicentre of this, both in regard to who's taken all the goods. So we've got pretty strong dependence on, on China, you're shipping export stuff out, but also bringing stuff from, from China. You know, China is the, is the world's biggest factory. You know, that's at the epicentre of the start of the whole supply chain. You know, what have we seen over the past sort of 12 months? You know, we started to see globalisation is getting tested. Uh, if you look at all the supporters in America behind Donald Trump, there are all these people that lost their job as jobs got outsourced to China. You know, manufacturing sectors around the globe have just been plundered as we've shifted supply chains towards towards Asia. What are we seeing now? Yeah, we're seeing people pushing back. We're seeing cyber security is a huge issue now around the globe. We're seeing the pushing back in regard to Huawei. Now, yeah, coronavirus, I think, is going to push back as well against the whole process of globalisation. You go back to, to 9-11. Yeah, 9-11 fundamentally changed how we view travel and how we think about you know, border control in regard to security. Yeah, we're going to have to start to think about you know, what the world is going to look like down the track as we come out of that recovery phase because we're going to see, I think, some, some pretty big structural shifts. Yeah, travel patterns are not going to go back to the way they were. Your firms and business, your boards, companies, and they're going to have to start to think about that that supply chain. Yeah, their reliance upon upon China. Yeah, looking at Plan B, C, and D. Ironically, there could be some opportunities here in New Zealand for the rebirth of the manufacturing sector. Is that manufacturing supply chain, if it comes down to New Zealand, going to be as cheap, as efficient as having one up in China? Well, the answer is probably no. But we've now got an operational risk that we now need to start to manage, think about from a supply chain perspective. Yeah, I think you're quite right. Um, and I think you make a really good point about over the, the last 10 to 12 years, sorry, 10 to 20 years, you know, the, the global supply chains have become incredibly efficient. Um, you know, we do JIT at enormous length and efficiency. Um, and I do think that we will have that. Uh, this is one of those once in a lifetime shifts. I think. There's quite a few things in the supply chain that will help us in this new future. Um, they are quite resilient and they are quite connected. But I agree. I, th I think the balance between getting everything from one place and shipping it in versus a blend of components and sourcing from more different places is what the reality will be for the future. Yeah, I think the uh, the supply chain is, is one of the key factors for businesses to focus on as well. And I think we'll get into that in a bit more detail uh, later, later as we go through the podcast, but um, you know we've talked about the macro, but let's now bring it back to um, you know what are we actually seeing around um, some of the industries in New Zealand, uh, and we are seeing you know quite a bit of carnage out there already. Obviously, quite a few announcements from different companies about how they're dealing with COVID nineteen, how they're going to deal with isolation, um, and obviously government policies as well. But maybe Cameron, if you can. Um, Talk, talk through some of the sector and government policies we're seeing. Well, what we're seeing at the moment is an awful lot of pressure on liquidity and cash flow. You know, so it's critically important for firms at the moment, if they need to have those tough discussions with their banks, you, know, you make the call early, early, you get those lines in place, you, you make sure that you got funding 
liquidity is going to be sound over the coming three, four, six, 12 months. Look, in all honesty, we actually don't know how long this thing is going to last. You know, we, we sort of hope that we're going to find a solution. It will it will go away. But but I, when we're in this sort of realm where uncertainty is so wide, you know, you've got to apply a risk management framework. You know, pray for the best, but plan otherwise in regard to what things could look like. You know, putting your head in the stand and sort of hoping it's going to go away is not a strategy. You know, we just need to accept some of the brutal realities that that are coming down down the pipeline for some sectors out there at the moment, particularly hospitality, air travel, hotels. You know, they're they're going to bear the brunt of this in the near term, but we're going to start to see yeah, people are going to be losing their job. We've got to start to think about what is the economy going to look like sort of down the track. You know, but this, this is about... You know, worry about the macro, it's beyond our control, but firms have got to have a ruthless obsession over the coming 6 to 12 months with what's called quality microeconomics. Yeah, microeconomics is all those small levers that you can pull to make a big difference in regard to building a bit of muscle or making sure your company, business, your family unit has got yeah, resilience to what could be some very difficult and trying times. You know, I think in in terms of that, Cameron, it's got to be an absolute focus on discretionary spend, both both at a personal level and um, and obviously for businesses as well, because because that's one lever you can pull now. Um, obviously, that's not going to help the overall economy though if everyone pulls back spending. So, you know, what what's your take on some of the government policies we've seen to date? Um, there's obviously been a, a package or a couple of packages announced. Uh, we've also seen the Reserve Bank come out in terms of relaxing some of the um, timelines around the Basel rules. Um, but I guess, I guess, you know, there's there's some some things in there that really work for small businesses. But what are we seeing for mid-market and larger businesses? Well, the, the, the Reserve Bank you know, came out and, and they basically blew the last of their bullets, taking the official cash rate down to 0.25%. You know, they don't have too much, well, they don't have any more ammunition in that chamber. Yeah, because we're basically zero bounds for interest rates, but it sent a bit of a signal. It's helped to get the New Zealand dollar down. Uh, they're going to implement some form of quantitative easing to try to make sure that interest rates remain low across the curve, and that's basically signalling to to borrowers, potential investors down the track. Yeah, you know, <laughs> interest rates are going to be incredibly low for an exceptionally long time. Now, it's going to help, but it's not going to be a magic bullet. Yeah, you know, the reserve. Sorry, the, the government. Has also stepped up. You know, twelve billion dollar package spread over over four years. About five to six billion of that is, is right up front uh, in the form of a, a wage subsidy. You know, we implemented that after the Christchurch earthquake, after the Kaikoura earthquake as well. It's critically important that we help businesses maintain people in jobs. Is it going to maintain everybody in a job? The answer is no. But it's but it's going to help. And that package they brought in is the first package of what I think is is going to be many. Yeah, we're going to need more support to businesses later part of 2020 and all likelihood 2021. Yeah, thankfully, we've got the ammunition, we've got low levels of debt, so that when we go through these difficult times, now's the time to be leaning on the central government balance sheet. You know, I think local government balance sheets, they need to jump into the fray as well, and let's turbocharge an awful lot of infrastructure infrastructure spending. Let's look at you know, shifting people from one sector to another to make sure we can keep them employed, because some sectors, they're going to take an awful long time to come out of this. So if I have a look at the tourism sector, for instance, international 
tourism. Yeah, international tourism peaked in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. It went backwards. It was not until 2015 that the international tourism sector got back to 2008 levels. Yeah, so that, that is a big, long economic adjustment. And what is going to need to take place is that businesses yeah, respond, think about risk management, liquidity, cash flow, but we also need to think strategically about right-sizing your business for what is likely to be a very different economic future in regard to 2021, 2022. Yeah, tourism is an obvious one. They're going to need to re-pitch their product away from international arrivals towards local you know, New Zealanders. Yeah, we need a bit of a, a call to arms. Remember that catchphrase we had? Mm. Don't leave town until you've left, to, until you've seen the country. Exactly. And thinking about what you're talking about there, you know, it might be the tourism sector um, shifting from moving people around the country to look at pretty things to shifting construction crews around, right? If, you know, if that's what we're talking in terms of massive infrastructure. So that, that um, short-term volatility that we're all seeing at the moment and there's a lot of unknowns out there, um, you know, businesses have just got to be absolutely focused uh, on that short-term cash flow, getting through this period and, the, um, and, and I guess, longer-term viability. Um, but they also need to really consider the impact of their um, decisions they're making now on their longer-term sustainability and the opportunities that will come out um, when, when we're uh, through this crisis. Uh, but, but Michael, what does this mean for supply chains right now? Yeah, um, I think Cameron's sort of laid it out beautifully that we're going to be in this for a while. Um, initially, it's a short, sharp shock, basically, um, which has sent all kind of connections through the global supply chains. Um, what we'd say, first of all, is that, you know, we're all in this together. Um, so the first thing we say is work with your suppliers. Um, we do a lot of work trying to improve relationships between suppliers and the clients that we that we deal with. Um, and even when we're doing fairly significant cost outs, we say the last thing you need is an unprofitable supplier. Um, your best suppliers are the ones who are up at night. They're thinking about all the things they could do to help you and make your business better. So what we'd say is, look, have a look at all the ideas they brought you over the last little while. Dust them off. Maybe there were some things that you could use. There's usually value there, but it might need you as a business to change and adopt. Um, you have to look up and down the value chain um, and re-engineer the way that you're doing things with your clients and then turn around and re-engineer the way that you're doing things with your suppliers. Um, we've actually found that some of our most productive ideas come when we get those parties in the room and they re-engineer. Um, now, that might be a virtual room these days. Um, the, the point is with the right people in the room in a short space of time with some good ideas, um, you can really uncover value uh, and get it pretty quickly. You must maintain a focus on your critical items. Um, your production or your ops people should have already identified those for you. Um, you know what they are. Those include people as well. Um, and you need to be having an open conversation with your suppliers and your, your clients as well. Um, a regular communication and a shared agreement about what's going to happen when you reach certain inventory points or levels. Um, the last thing we'd say is you uh, really need to do the work, accelerate the work if you haven't already around the substitutes for all of those components. Where might you be able to get them from somewhere else? And I think that's a, uh, that's a key point. And I know it's not necessarily short term, but Cameron made the uh, point before about, hey, we might see manufacturing return to New Zealand. And, um, you know, I know several businesses that I've talked to already who are talking to or have been talking to the um, Australian manufacturers as well. 
about um, moving some of their um, demand, uh, some, some of their uh, capability over there because they were just too far too exposed to one market, being China, um, and also um, you know that I guess that sort of planning. We're, we're talking midterm, but you know I guess in the very very short term. Um, how a business is going to take costs off the table. That, that's going to be key. Absolutely. So so just one of the things there that, that we'd be looking at is, you know, we're still under the scenario where cash is king and cash will be king for, um, for some time yet and that's really around survival and being able to flourish uh, in an economy which is, you know, being decimated in, in some areas. Uh, and being in a position where you've got a strong enough balance sheet that you actually can react and can uh, work with your clients, your people, and your uh, your other stakeholders. Um, so, you know, we, what we're saying to clients at the moment is planning is absolutely key, uh, that you should be looking at your, your cash flow, um, your P&L, your balance sheet, and really looking at the stress points, uh, running some scenario analysis, particularly around revenue and working capital. Um, working capital because, you know, you might be hurting as a business, but you can rest assured that your um, customers will be hurting as well. Um, and when they're hurting, their ability to pay you is um, is obviously at risk. And that means that we're probably going to see push out in debtor days and um, people needing to hold more working capital on the balance sheet. And that's an interesting discussion as well, because then how are you going to fund that? Um, and and I, I totally agree with Cameron. You're going to have to really front foot discussions with stakeholders, your banks, your uh, your shareholders, your shareholders in terms of returns and additional capital, uh, and and obviously look at potentially sourcing other capital. Um, but your banks as well in terms of your amortisation of your term debt, bridging finance, additional working capital facilities, debt factoring, etc. Uh, but the key will be having robust plans in place when you suddenly see a shock to your revenue or working capital. And, that, and that's what the, um, the banks and the shareholders will be looking for as well, is, is robust plans to mitigate that downside risk. Um, and I think there's just got to be a lot of honest conversations that, that take place over the next uh, weeks and months. And that, that starts with your people. Um, and, and that's... Um, making them, I guess, understand that we, all of us, need to get through this and we actually need to work together to get through this uh, and that, you know, there could be sacrifices for everyone and we've seen certain businesses already come out and say they've had to shorten the work week um, and um, looking at other measures as well just to survive, uh, particularly those industries such as travel where um, we've definitely seen a hit. And then, and then clients, you know, talk to your clients, get an understanding of where they are at. You have to support your clients. The businesses that are really going to thrive are the ones that can keep their key people and their key clients through this. Yep. So those are those are just a couple of the things that that we'd really be um, focusing on. And and leadership and governance are the other things that I'd really like to to emphasise to to businesses at the moment. Um, Leadership is is right from the top, right down through your management structure, uh, right to right down to how you're um, in discussions with your other stakeholders, your banks, your clients, your suppliers, etc. 
um, because people will be looking to you to provide them confidence that you can manage your way through this. And governance is going to be also key uh, because when cash flow dries up, then obviously it's going to be some concerns around balance sheet strengths and um, solvency and those sorts of issues. But I'm interested in your thoughts around that. Yeah, well, I, I wrap them up in the broad umbrella of what's called microeconomics. Yeah, we, if you have a look at the past yeah, five years, we've seen yeah, a couple of examples where yeah, the construction sector's gone hellishly well and a couple of firms have not. Yeah, why have they not? Well, they've just executed poorly. Yeah, the macroeconomy's been at their back, but microeconomics has been poor and they've underperformed. You can see good businesses can still make a meal of it in good economic time. Sorry, and yeah, bad businesses will make a meal of it no matter what the economic climate you are in. You know, good businesses that focus on the microeconomics, you know, will come out of this far stronger, more resilient. You know, they'll be going after after market share. Now, we don't want to downplay once again the scale of what is coming down the pipeline or challenges that New Zealand is facing. Yeah, you know, but you know, let's not turn this into a crisis more than necessary. You know, if I sit there and think about as a parent, as an investor, as a business owner at the moment. Yeah, given the scale of this global shock, I think New Zealand's a pretty damn good place to be compared to an awful lot of other jurisdictions around the globe. Yeah, for once, being geographically isolated actually is not a bad thing. Yeah, I wouldn't mind owning a farm or working on a farm for the next sort of six to 12 months. Yeah, isolation would be pretty, pretty good. Yeah, the world is going to need to eat. Yeah, the supply chain for food is going to have to get opened up a lot more than the discretionary-based items on, on the other side. You know, we've seen very proactive messages coming out of the Reserve Bank, the government. Yeah, the Reserve Bank was out today reaffirming or telling people, if we see financial markets operating in a funny fashion, we are going to make sure there is sufficient liquidity to keep the plumbing intact. Yeah, so policymakers are doing the right things to make sure we're going to come through this. Now, it's difficult, but if we get policymakers, you know, working, making sure the plumbing is working, the government taking proactive policy and leveraging off their own balance sheets, local government, I think, has got to join in the fray as well. We're going to cushion those blows on the downside, but it's about executing smartly. Yeah, I can't, can't disagree with that. And as said before, the, the absolute key will be coming out of this with key people, Key yeah. people intact and your clients trusting you, um, and that's the future. Yeah, the basis of any sort of your, your model I think about, you know, look after your people because the people look after the customers. If the customers looked after, well, the shareholder's going to make money. Absolutely. So what I hear you guys talking about is that, you know, this is one of those opportunities, right, that they don't come around very often where uh, a nation, a generation, the, the country... All of us have to stand up, as, as you talk about, you know, the policy makers have done their bit, um, the health officials are doing their bit, um, the rest of us have to step up, have a plan, keep to it, work the plan. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? Yeah, just focus on those small things. There's such a lot out there at the moment, we just cannot control. And yeah, we just don't know. Uncertainty is high. Yeah, focus on the small things. You think small to stand tall, those sort of catchphrases, you know, I, but I have a look at, look, look at the Kiwi Aussie dollars around parity. You know, what is that telling you about how people are viewing how New Zealand is going to go through what is very difficult times compared to Australia? 
We are facing an economic outlook that is very poor, but in a relative sense, once again, I know where I'd rather be, and it's here as opposed to over there or in other jurisdictions around the globe. Mm. We've made some absolutely tough calls, uh, but I think they're the right calls to make, and I think we'll continue to make those tough calls if they are needed. Yeah, the other uh, absolute focus around people, I think, is going to be well-being, um, and and just having that positive mindset, but also reaching out to others um, around. Hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will get through this. I mean, you talked about some of the um, shocks that we've been through in the past as an economy, as people in terms of disasters, um, downturns, etc. Uh, and and we've really just got to remember that we are a, a nation that does care for each other and we've, we've got to reach out and help each other. Oh, look, it's exactly, because yeah, we, we are going to start to see the unemployment rate is going to be moving up. To, to, to what level, what extent, we don't know. Uh, but we've, we've been through this sort of stuff before. We've, we've come out the other side. You know, the, it's always darkest before, before dawn. Um, I suspect we're going to get a little bit darker over the coming sort of few months, but, you know, we will come out the other side and there's going to be an opportunities. There's going to be a hell of a lot that needs to get done in the meantime. meantime. So, you know, once again, I don't like chicken little sort of stuff. It's not helpful, uh, but we do need to be realistic and, yeah, buckle up. It's going to be one hell of a ride. So so just picking up that, um, that line of thinking there, Cameron, you know, how do you see things developing? So as as we go through this, how how do you see businesses looking forward in terms of their visions, their strategic plans, etc.? You know what what are the sort of things they are going to have to be thinking about um, when we look beyond the uh, COVID nineteen situation into um, into the future? Yeah, well, the, in the immediate, the near term, yeah, it's liquidity, cash flow, yeah, putting on a, a risk management framework. Yeah, I hope it goes away, but plan otherwise. Yeah, but once again, we have to start to think back and think about what the world is going to look like as we come out the other side. And it will be amiss of us to think that the world is going to go back to what it was like 12 months ago. You know, th- this is an absolute earthquake in regard to what is rolling through around the globe. You, know, you go back and have a look at other major events internationally, the global financial crisis, 9-11. You know, have a look after the Asian crisis. Have a look at after we went through 87 to 1991. Yeah, we are going to see tectonic changes in regard to behavioural responses or what the economy is going to look like going forward. Now, at, at present, it's probably a little bit too early to make a, you know, an accurate assessment in regard to what things are going to be, to be like, but we are being disrupted on a massive scale. Now, what does that mean as disruption hits more and more? Well, change. There's going to be a lot, a lot of it. You know, so we're going to need to get people you know, to be innovative, adaptable, creative, flexibility to make sure that when the recovery comes, and the recovery will come, uh, you know, history tells us this, uh, that we can embrace it and maximise those opportunities on the other side. Absolutely. And I, I think the, the sort of planning that you're talking about is probably a level of sophistication that we might not have had before. Um, you know, we, we have our business recovery plans and stuff like that, but this is a real test for these things, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's massive. You, know, you have a look at your know, tourism, $17 billion industry. Then that's just international. 
domestic is another 23. And we're seeing cancellation after cancellation in regard to events. That's $40 billion that's potentially on the table, 230,000 people. It's going to take the sector a long time to recover. So capital is going to have to get physically shifted from that sector into other other areas. Maybe this is a time where we really see the turbocharging of the digital economy because all of a sudden you have people like my generation having to work out Zoom and Skyping and all these sort of things. There's no choice. We can't be technologically ignorant like we probably have been a little bit too long. We've got to embrace this sort of stuff uh, because it's now going to be a critical part of any business. Embracing working from home, well, what's what's that going to look like? Are we going to go back into the office in in 12-odd months? Well, people didn't rush back into the CBD in Christchurch. I think we're going to see some pretty big shifts in regard to what what this means. I think you're right. And even when you talk about those offices, I guess the the long term impact on the um, construction industry. Um, you know, we're we're going to see a lot of uh, businesses, obviously through this um, through the COVID nineteen situation at the moment, looking to have people working from home in terms of separation, uh, in terms of risk management, and um, I agree, pe- people are going to get used to the norm, which will be spending a lot of their time outside of the office. So as we look down the lens, what does that mean for um, for for construction, for uh, for office leases, etc.? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, yeah, we, we can yeah go through and you pick off sort of you know, sector by sector. You know, have a think about yeah, you know, New Zealand imports thirteen billion dollars worth of goods from China. Now some of those goods are used on construction sites. An awful lot of those goods flow into retail stores. If you can't get the goods, you can't make the sale. What does that mean in regard to your ability to, to pay the rent? doesn't matter whether you're a retailer, hospitality, you know, something like this. You know, so all of a sudden the commercial property market you know, starts to become a little bit of a different story in regard to what's going on. Now the property market in general in New Zealand is going to hit the reverse button. You know, why? Because unemployment rate is, is moving up. Now to be fair, we've had it pretty damn good for a long time. So a little bit of a modest pullback is not going to be the end of the world. Yeah, we're seeing at the moment, look, equity markets have obviously had a, a real horrible run over the past month and a half. But put it in perspective, equities are up 30% in 2019. Yeah, at present, you probably haven't given back what you made in 2019. Yeah, so once again, we just need to put a sense of perspective on this, but once again, continue to acknowledge that the things are going to be difficult. Yeah, the the global financial crisis, this one's going to be worse. Yeah, so in terms of um, what businesses need to consider and um, recreate is probably their business continuity plans. We're talking about a a, a new level of sophistication that's required in those sorts of things. Um, I know a lot of businesses have probably got BCP in place, um, but a stress like this... um, they probably haven't tested that plan and that kind of reality. Um, so, you know, there's that old uh, joke about um, in life you get the, uh, the the test first and you get the lesson afterwards. Um, so I think for a lot of businesses, they'll if they have one of those, they need to get it out uh, and relook at it. And, and for those that don't have one, uh, it's really get one in place uh, as quickly as you can. Um, you've really got to look at all those risks, those vulnerabilities, um, as I said before, you know, that involves um, not just the things that you put into your business, but the people in it too. Um, 
make some decisions about who those key people are, how they can continue operations. You know, clients we're talking to are, are going through that at quite a granular level in terms of who can operate which machinery. You know, where, where are your key project managers? Um, who do you need to separate so that you've got some kind of resiliency in, in, inside? Um, all the things you were talking about, Cameron, in terms of the digital economy, we all say, oh, I can work remotely. But, you know, if you tested it, what does that look like for you? Um, you know, what does it feel like to work in that way? There's, there's a bunch of people in the gig economy that we already know it can be done, but for most of the businesses in New Zealand, it's it's a partial thing or a part-time thing. Um, has everyone got the, the hardware and software? And, and as you pointed out, with increasing cybersecurity, have you have you tested uh, and do you know that you, you're managing those risks if, as effectively as you can from a distributed situation as when everyone was clumped together and IT looked after it? Yeah, I'll give you an example. I'll be flying back down to Wellington uh, this afternoon and my IT guy's coming around to do exactly that mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, obviously, you know, communicating through different avenues at the moment, using the digital sort of platforms is going to be a lot more critical over time. So, yeah, he's coming up to check the hardware, making sure we've got the right equipment. There's other stuff we need to run down to the shop and get pretty damn quickly. But we need to evolve very quickly into alternative spaces. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting point again because, I, again, it highlights that, you know, there are actually parts of the um, economy which are, are, are probably getting more work than they've ever had because of um, COVID-19 and, and the, the tech space and um, is one example. Supermarkets, obviously, another example. And insurance will be another one? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and, then, and, and even um, talking to the podcast people here, the absolute demand for their facilities, given you can't hold um, you know, meetings of more than 100 people. Yeah, and there's also, there's also been an, an awful lot of businesses, investors, that have been sitting there for the past three years looking at financial markets, asset prices, sort of in disbelief. What is going on here? And they've been sitting there hoarding the cash, not willing to redeploy because they just felt you weren't getting compensated for the risk that you were taking on. You know, what are we seeing at the moment around the globe? Well, part of it is a fundamental reset in regard to you know, the price of risk, you know, what you should expect, what, what you are paying for. You know, so there's, actually, there's a lot of money that's sitting there on the sidelines that will get ready to get redeployed as those opportunities start to open up. You know, so it's a market so going to, going to operate, they're going to function. And I guess the only issue is that you know, there's going to be some distress along the way, but that's going to open up some opportunities for some players that have been sitting there for a long time, not willing to redeploy the cash. So there's a, a bunch of asset classes that suddenly don't look that attractive anymore, and maybe there's more appetite and a whole lot more cash for good ideas, and is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah well, the market will adjust so that capital will get enticed into the sector. Now, the only issue is at what price does the transaction take place? You have a look at stepping aside from coronavirus, have a look at the dairy sector. Now, the dairy sector is the only asset class in New Zealand over the past year where we've seen yields move up. You know, yields across commercial property, residential property have been, have been coming down. Why? Because interest rates have been lower. You know, yields in the dairy sector have been going up because cash flow has been pretty good, you know, strong dairy payout. Uh, costs have gone up a little bit, but farm values have come down. And we've got a Mexican standoff between the buyers and the sellers where the buyers have got new numbers in regard to what they think a dairy farm is going to be worth going for. But they're going to get enticed 
at the right yield at the appropriate value for the land. Uh, so it's a markets will will work through this uh, as the process of price discovery takes place. And um, just Cameron, just picking up on your your background, you obviously were the chief economist for the ANZ. You're no doubt talking to some of your bank colleagues um, as we go through this. You know what what's the um, what's the feeling in the banking sector at the moment? Obviously, they play a very important part in terms of our economy, um, but also the Australian economy as well. Given where some of the ownership is, um, you know how, how are you seeing things play out there? Yeah, a lot of the people I've been talking to of, of late, they're, they're they're looking at what's going on at present, and 2000 and 2009 is starting to come about in regard just how we're starting to see credit markets literally freeze up. And our policymakers are starting to respond with extraordinary policy stimulus. Yeah, the European Central Bank came out the other night with a with, with a big bazooka of a package. You've seen the Reserve Bank of Australia come out with a big package. You've seen the US Federal Reserve, yeah, RBNZ. Yeah, this is the sort of stuff we were seeing in 2008 and 2009 as we try to contain the problem. If I have a look at the banking sector at the moment, look, we've got to give a bit of a hat tip here, I think, to the Reserve Bank, yeah, because yeah, for the past couple of years, they've been a bit of, they were in a bit of a bout with the, with the banking sector over banks holding more capital to make them safer, more resilient. Well, the Reserve Bank won that bout, and banks have been building up their capital base now, because banks have been building up their capital base, they're a bit more resilient now than what I think they were in, in 2008, 2009. Yeah, what does that mean? When they need to sort of stump up and provide a little bit of liquidity within those more difficult times, they've actually got liquidity that can actually go, you know, subject to approving their, their you know, risk management criteria or these sort of things. But we saw the Reserve Bank back off the other day with the demand that banks need to hit this in regard to their capital numbers by a certain date. Yeah, because we've made the system a bit safer, more resilient, we can sort of yeah, put a little bit more petrol in that tank to sort of yeah, keep the economic car moving along the track. So that would sort of, um, I guess, facilitate those sort of discussions I was talking about earlier with, with your funder around um, interest payment only uh, and some, some sort of debt holiday, um, bridging loans, working capital facilities. But the shareholders have to pay a part here too, don't they? Oh, look, it, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to see all sectors are going to have to wear a bit. Yeah, so if I think about the outlook for bank sector profits over the coming one to two years, will not be what it has been for the past 12, 24 or 36 months. Yeah, yeah we are going to see non-performing loans are going to go up. They're going to have to start to make increases in provisioning. But they've got a pretty good base to, to wear some of this stuff going forward uh, and yeah the, the banking sector is what 450 billion dollars worth of worth of loans yeah some of those loans will will go bad uh, I'd probably like to see the government providing some sort of guarantee based scheme that will encourage the banks to be yeah, providing even more liquidity uh, because we're probably going to be stepping outside the stock standard box in regard to you know whether it, you know, it's approved or not given the extent of the downturn we are facing at the moment. We're going to need some, some pragmatism and some, some common sense because we're all in this together. And that's a, another good point because, I mean, we've seen a bit of movement from the banks as well. And, um, you know, I think one of the big banks the other day moved both on the mortgage rates but the deposit rates at the same time. 
Yeah. Um, so wouldn't yeah, mind so your you, thoughts on that as well. Yeah, well, be, yeah, you take the official cash rate yeah, down, you're kind of hoping you're going to provide a little bit of interest rate relief. You know, good story for borrowers, I guess not such a great story for if you're a saver or an investor in regard to what it means for, for deposit rates. But yeah, monetary policy is not standing idly by. You know, Adrian had a few bullets he could fire, and he fired them pretty damn quick. You know, he doesn't have any more OCR checks he can write out, but he can you know, intervene in the market, you know, make sure those longer-dated interest rates are suppressed. You know, the central bank can you know, purchase government bonds, and they've got a pretty big you know, checkbook sort of there. But you know, going back to what you said about the banks here, yeah, there was a one bank CEO, I think, came out a, a couple of days ago and encouraged people, come and talk to us, have the conversations. Yeah, don't just hope this thing is going to go away. Well, you can hope it's going to go away, but put a risk management framework around it and think about what if it doesn't. But let's engage, get those open conversations going sooner rather than later with a view to making sure that your cash and liquidity needs are going to be you know, are going to be met just um just further to i guess the deposit rates reducing and the um the returns for certain investors um we've obviously got quite an aging population in new zealand um a lot of people at or around retirement age um living obviously off off a um a benefit but also topped up by personal savings and and returns on those savings We've seen KiwiSavers hit because of the share markets. We've seen deposit rates come down. Um, so, you know, obviously from a personal perspective, that's again where people are really going to have to look at, at their spend and how they get through this. Yeah, so, so let, let, let's park coronavirus and the downturn to the side for a second and sort of go back to middle of 2019 before things sort of kicked off. Yeah, what were we seeing? The Reserve Bank took the official cash rate down. Term deposit rates come down. Yeah, what did that do? Well, you're not getting a great term deposit rate, so you've got to look at alternative investments. So what was going on was what's called an insatiable chase for yield. Just get me more of a return in my investment portfolio. So term deposit balances for households in the banking sector of the back half of 2019, they shrunk because people were taking them out and they were buying alternative assets. They were jumping into residential property. Your mum and dad investors were piling into, into commercial property. Just get me a yield that is quasi-reasonable because I need to live off, off this sort of stuff. Of course, what, what they've done, they've probably gone a little bit up the risk curve. Uh, and they've got a bit of a return, but they've taken risk on, on the other side. You know, what I think you're going to see in the next couple of months is that a pretty big mad rush back into term deposits. It's going to be about capital preservation. Yeah, that's interesting because I think we saw that in the middle of the 2000s as well with the uh, finance companies and a lot of people rate chasing at that stage as well. Oh, and yeah. again, not pricing and risk. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, there's some similarities we are seeing with the GFC in regard to credit markets, but there's also some big differences. Yeah, if I have a look at yeah, one of the big drivers of the underperformance across the property market in New Zealand over during the GFC was the amount of finance company money that was out there, uh, particularly in areas such as Queenstown. Uh, and as those finance companies sort of yeah, went belly up, uh, tinkle, 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 well, you, know, you had to sort of flood the money with stock to, to get a little bit of cash back. You know, the government lost an awful lot of money out of the government guarantee because they <laughs> they wrote the cheque out for South Canterbury Finance. You know, so... Yeah, the government is going to have to write out more checks 
to New Zealand businesses over the coming sort of 12 to 24 months. But let's make sure that the taxpayer is not unnecessarily on the hook, you know, barring out what could potentially be bad businesses. You know, we want to support businesses through what's difficult economic times, but let's not you know, put the, the taxpayer on the hook for a business that is unlikely to survive the next sort of one to two years. So you know, once again, we've got to think a little bit strategically about what the next stages of the government recovery package is going to look like. You know, yes, first cab off the rank was wage subsidies. They're absolutely critical. They continue with that sort of support. But the support as we get into the back half of 2020, I think is going to have to be a lot more broad-based. And some sort of government financing guarantee support to, to small businesses is going to be needed. You know, I see the government just announced a loan to Air New Zealand. Now, they might have to have some sort of lending facility that could get channelled via the banking sector to support small to medium-sized businesses. Yeah, they won't be handing out cheques, it will be a loan, but we need to be able to risk manage or credit risk assess yeah, whether those businesses are going to be viable or not. We can't just write out the cheques. I totally agree with that. I think um, that, that's something that people forget is that it is a natural part of our economy that some businesses will not succeed. And, um, you know, I think there'll be a lot of excuses around, uh, the, you know, uh, for a business's issues being driven by COVID-19. But I think in a lot of cases, um, those issues were coming well before COVID-19. And yeah, it's usually down to planning or wrong wrong place in the market. Yeah, so, so if we, you know, once again, part the virus or the economic implications, the, the, the international tourism market was, start, was slowing rapidly. You know, we were starting to see airlines already respond to different market conditions. You know, what this has just done is it, it's, it, it's accelerated that move. In fact, it accelerated is the understatement of the year in regard to what it's meant in regard to airlines having to reassess capacity. Yeah, but there's going to be an awful lot of businesses out there that are going to be looking at the fact, well, Air New Zealand just got a loan today. And they're paying for that loan through an interest payment to the government and that might end up being converted from debt to equity down the track, we don't know, but there'll be an awful lot of hoteliers out there at the moment that'll be asking, well, what about us? Because international arrivals, you know, they spend about $2 billion on accommodation. They spend about $3 billion on food and beverages. They pump about 4 to $5 billion into the retail sector. Yeah, so... <laughs> How are we going to finance the, these SMEs to get them through what could be, a, in, in essence, a, a liquidity cash crunch? Yeah, the banking sector will be there, but I think we're going to need something a little bit bigger. We saw the Bank of England, was it Banking or the UK Treasury came out the other night, I think, with a $330 billion uh, lending package to small to medium-sized enterprises. Are we likely to see something of similar magnitude in New Zealand relative to the size of our economy? I think the answer is yes. Yeah, well, I think they've, they've either got to have to front, fund it at the front end or they'll be funding it when people are sitting in the unemployment queues. So they might as well front foot it and trying to keep the economy going, I'd have thought. Well, uh, abs abs yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, the, the government has got a big balance sheet. Yeah, local governments have got big balance sheets as well. So let's not yeah, forget about them. Yeah, now is the time to be leaning on those entities with big balance sheets. Yeah, leverage them up because your typical small to medium-sized enterprise across New Zealand does not have the scale across the balance sheets. You know, they probably don't have that flexibility within their working capital arrangements or the, or the cash on hand to actually you know, move through an extended protracted downturn. 
So those people with those balance sheets can do what they can to bring forward the project work, right? Absolutely. Get the program underway, make it go faster. Yep. Yeah, yeah I think we're going to take government debt to in excess of 40% of GDP. Uh, and it's the right strategy in the near term, but we need. it's not just about pushing money into the economy, it's making sure we're pushing the right money into the economy. Mm. And it's making sure that, yeah, we, we make the correct... Yeah, you know, decisions like some things at the moment, such as raising the minimum wage on April the first, quite frankly, is absurd. You know, I agree with the need to raise the minimum wage. Yeah, but that is a something that we should do down the track, as opposed to you know sock small businesses with higher costs when their revenue line is completely disappearing. Yeah, we're not talking about minor hits to the revenue line. We're talking about the revenue line completely disappearing. It just makes no sense to me as to why we'd be hitting them with increases in costs at this juncture. Let's do it down the track. So I guess in summary, the absolute key focus for businesses has to be on short-term cash flow, liquidity, viability, uh, but there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, any closing comments? Yeah, I put these sort of things within a risk management framework. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy. Yeah, yeah. Hope that things get better, plan otherwise. Yeah, but put a risk management framework around this and I'd encourage people as well to think about the other side and opportunities because you can actually make some of your most best, smartest move as a business during the most difficult economic times. Yeah, it's always darkest just before dawn. I'd agree, and you know, there's probably some ideas that you've had and projects that you wanted to do, or ways you wanted to change your business model. And you know, you were just busy with stuff. Uh, well, now's the time, you know, rethink those ideas, re-engineer your business, um, particularly think about how you do it digitally. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. I just want to wrap things up by saying that if you're a business owner or leader concerned about how these issues are impacting your organisation, please go to grantthornton.co.nz to contact one of our advisors. You'll also find a lot more insights there as well, including our COVID-19 business checklist, which is really useful if you're updating or creating your business continuity or incident response plans. And of course, thanks to my esteemed colleague, Michael Wirth, and, um, and particularly the insights also from Cameron Bagri and sharing his expertise today. Thanks very much. Thank you. Looking forward to getting on the spade in the garden on the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, everyone.